Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today on this, our 300th episode by Meredith. Hello. Hello. We did it. We did it, Joe. We got here. Episodes. Can I like truly what? What happened? I don't know how we have arrived at 300 episodes already, but thank you to everyone who is still listening. Um, I did put up on, if you don't follow Light Trees and News on Instagram, you should go do that. Uh, I had asked people if they had a specific request of anything they wanted to hear about on the 300th episode and bless the listeners they want to hear about the wga strike i mean what good eggs right i'm so excited too we both got very pumped very pumped it's also very sweet it's like truly we could have just bullshitted about anything but you care about the strike because you're good people so of course we will talk about that um but before we get into all of that meredith how are you Oh, I have had a terrible couple of weeks. Nothing is going on, you know, in the personal life. Things are just life under capitalism absolutely blows. And, uh, you know, working conditions, they they are bad. Yeah, Um, I I, I think I've brought this up on the show before, but at least once a week I do Google the process of uh, moving to Portugal. Yes. And uh, we have been discussing, you know, our retirement, you know, where to set up the commune. And right, right now the options are uh, Portugal and Minnesota after their <laughs> legislative session ended and they passed a whole bunch of really great, uh, <laughs> really great progressive laws. Really great. Like there's a photo of, I apologize, I don't know who is in the photo, but someone is standing in front of a a whiteboard, basically, of everything that they have accomplished. And it's like, oh, I want to live in that country. Yeah, except it's not a country. It is the state of Minnesota. (laughs) But like whatever y'all have going on, I want to export that to all 50 states and live in that version of America because it's frustrating because it's like, oh, we can do that. Yeah, did it. And it has it has inspired a whole lot of people saying, oh, but but we live in a state with a really big Democratic majority and those guys did nothing. Yeah. At all. We we did what we were supposed to do, which is we elected y'all to fix this shit. And then you just decided that you wanted to get rich in this job, I guess, and not improve our country. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, uh, which is kind of a nice segue into the strike. So, of course, like, well, I've been frustrated by working conditions. I've been spending a lot of time looking for photos of actors or photos and videos of actors and writers and uh, creative, uh, you know, members of different guilds. Uh, showing up on the picket lines and giving awesome, impassioned speeches about why they are striking for a better deal. And it has really helped my my mental health. <laughs> specifically, are we talking about Colin Farrell specifically? Uh, we sure are. <laughs> yeah, that was... I wasn't surprised to see him, but I was still like, man, you're a good egg, you know? Yeah, well, of course, as, as somebody pointed out... Uh, he hey, uh yeah. real quick what is yeah. that in the background oh i'm sorry it's my coffee maker decided to get very oh, angry oh okay cool as long as it will eventually stop it's very loud <laughs> i don't know why it's being very loud it shouldn't be very loud uh my apologies no worries, everyone no i am not making uh i'm not i don't have a cauldron Summoning brewing a demon? yeah i was like <laughs> what is happening is a portal to hell opening right yeah. now okay so, sometimes the the airplanes come to drone strike me and sometimes <laughs> i have a cauldron bowling um yeah, somebody pointed out that Colin Farrell is very well aware of the importance of writers after his sex tape. Oh my god, yeah. Because there was a Graham Norton clip where Sharon Osborne quotes the breakfast, lunch, and dinner line, and he says, <laughs> they, he's like, this is how you know I need writers yeah. <laughs> from so years true. ago. It's so true. Every smart actor knows that they only look good because of the writing. There are some yeah. delusional actors who think that they're better than the writers and that they can make calls on the fly, and they're fucking wrong. Yeah, um, they are wrong. Um, 
And so it's it has been a wonderful time to see what actors have been showing up to different um, to different picket lines, lending their support, bringing food, generally speaking out, uh, you it's know, also reminding been very them. Interesting to see who hasn't been showing up. Yeah, that has been its own really interesting thing. You want to talk about anyone in particular? So I, I'm just a little frustrated because, I mean, truly we could spend the entire hour listing, you know, actors and prominent writers who haven't shown up or said shit about anything, Aaron Sorkin. Um, but I'm just curious as to, like, when reporters are going to start to ask, like, I don't know, Steven Spielberg. What's up? How do you feel about what's happening right now? Is the DGA going to get involved? You know, especially after we're going to talk about um, HBO is Max now, everybody. And they did this just absurd thing with credits where they turned writers, directors into creators, which sounds it sounds like it's not a big deal but ultimately is trying to reduce all creatives to content creators so they can break unions and pay people shit, basically, right. is what they're trying and, to do. And which also ends up lumping the producers in. So you end up having right. people who wrote and directed their own movies, third or fourth build in in this. You know, you see Martin Scorsese's like the fifth build on Raging Bull or something like that. And right. that's weird. <laughs> it's weird and it's it's nefarious. I'm sorry. People are like, maybe it could have been an oversight. There's no fucking way. If you know anything about like design or or creating an app, like everything is so deliberate that this was a deliberate decision to downgrade creatives into content creators. And the only reason they would do that is because they're constantly trying to diminish uh, the uh, the contributions by creatives, which is crazy because the only reason we have anything is because of the writers and the directors and the actors who work so hard. Yeah. Somebody pointed out that uh, David Zaslav got his start in reality TV and oh, shitty yeah. reality TV. Yeah. So this is another way to really muddy the waters between unscripted and scripted TV. Um, right. And good and work to, make it, to all yeah. the students who booed him, by the way. Um, yeah. Way, way to go, that. Boston University. Boston. <laughs> of course it was Boston. Uh, yeah. If it had been Philadelphia, they would have thrown batteries. So, you know, but good yeah. for you, Boston, for for keeping it real as, as you could in the style you have grown accustomed. And chanting, pay your writers, not just booing, but actually being productive with the messaging. And I have to tell y'all, you got to him. He was very upset. Yeah, he did. He expected that to be an easy, uh, an easy gig. And he was, he did not, he, did he cry? I think oh. I saw a picture of him like taking off his sunglasses and being kind of like. <laughs> he was really upset. Like it yeah. really got to him and he did not hide it well if he was trying to hide it. But like it, it was just another example to me of how disconnected someone like Zaslav is from reality. Cause it's like, if you think, you can treat people like this and they're going to thank you. Like, what did you think the response was going to be? I really think a lot of these executives are getting blindsided by the cultural landscape shifting the way it has because we were also around during the first writer's strike. Yeah. And I don't remember this kind of widespread solidarity with the writers that we're seeing now. There certainly was solidarity, but there just wasn't anywhere near as much understanding of other labor issues. People weren't talking about this as something that was connecting to other places. People just weren't thinking about unions. So it really was a, oh yeah, well, we heard that the writers and, you know, we they vaguely knew that Hollywood has unions. And so they assumed this was something that needed to happen and it would be a delay, but it just didn't have an impact on the rest of our lives. And I think now there's so much that has infiltrated that we recognize that what they're fighting for right now does have a direct impact on fights that we're trying to have and fights people that we care about are trying to have in terms of improving their material conditions. And I mean, now Zaslav is in a position where it's like, my dude, you might have a writer, actor, 
director strike on your hands. Yeah. Well, so going back to Max's decision to change the credits and talk and list creators instead of, uh, you know, listing out the, the credits of who did what, talk a little bit about how that went over with the three different guilds that are currently in negotiations. <laughs> Oh my God, everybody's so mad. You guys are so mad. I was telling Meredith, I'm like, try, I want to be in the room with Christopher Nolan when they tell him he's no longer a director. Like, I want to be in that meeting where they're like, you are now a, cre- a creator. <laughs> it's what we call you. <laughs> and we hope you're okay with that. I would love to see Christopher Nolan's response. Uh, no, I mean, if there's, if there's any group of people you don't want to piss off and disrespect, it's the fucking directors. Not that you should disrespect anyone, obviously. But, like, these are people who, I mean, they, are, they have big egos, right? They've worked mm-hmm. very hard to be where they're at, for the most part. You know, unless they're a Nepo baby, but that's beside the point. Um, I, you couldn't have picked a worse fight. Honestly, when the WGA strike is already happening, this is well, just- and, the, and the negotiations like the DGA is the guild that is the most conservative in terms of taking right. actions and was considered to be the one least likely to do it was going to be the holdout. Uh, SAG already has uh, its authorization to vote out. So actors are able to vote on whether or not they want the uh you know the union to have the ability to call a strike um so they released this statement that's a joint statement between the wga and the dga and the dga is like absolutely fucking not it's like oh you they're mad they're mad you you made them very angry you people do not realize uh you you have just given them all common cause these guys will not forget this they now have a very, you know, they just have something to point to and every reason to believe that the AMT, AMPTP is going to be negotiating in bad faith when they have to go to the table. Of course. Yeah, because they always have been. Um But yeah, I, I am wondering, too, if things are a little different this time around because there's so many multi hyphenates now where like, for example, Cora Hemplo. I'm a writer producer. A lot right. of a lot of writers are also actors. Um, and more and more we see like people directing their own shit. So I, I'm wondering if that's part of it too, where it's like nobody's like one thing anymore, because you can't be for survival. Yeah. Like the fact that uh the system has been broken for so long has forced people to take on all of these roles, which means the few people that actually do make it end up being members of multiple guilds rather than just one. So suddenly they're being fucked on multiple fronts and have the ability to participate right. in a strike on multiple fronts. Yeah, there, there's no way. Like, if I was just a writer, I would not be able to pay rent. So, like, the, the producing gigs, like, fill in for that, you know, between... Like, you just have to do it. So, I was wondering if that was part of it, too, where it's like, it's not as easy to divide and conquer as it used to be for very powerful executives. Yeah, um, I mean, I also think that the the fact that there has been what little work has been successful in terms of creating some diversity and, and bringing people from different backgrounds in has led and then that happening at the exact same time as the system has been collapsing and taking away opportunities for those people to actually advance means that they're is a whole army of people who are really, really ready to (laughs) like force in systemic change. And bad news. They're all very funny and smart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, very good at social media, (laughs) very good at social media. They make funny signs. Uh, you know, once they get into common cause with the, with the actors, then that means you've got a lot of hot Hot people, people, the hot people. They rolled in like the elves in the Lord of the Rings, you know, where it was like, (laughs) Holy shit, they're here. Like, this line just got 300% hotter. Yeah. yeah. Although I have to say, I have to, there are many, many hot writers. I don't like when people call writers ugly. That's not no, it is definitely idea. not. Although they have ugly writers, of course. 
Yeah. But it is, I think that it's more useful to break it down East Coast versus West Coast. I think that is. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different flavor. <laughs> Big time different flavor between you know, the coasts. I do say like, you know, shout out to uh, best Chris, Chris Pine, who apparently has been bringing empanadas to multiple picket lines. <laughs> I just told Meredith, I can't give this a full recommendation because I haven't finished it. And I'm, in fact, I'm only 10 minutes in. I started watching Dungeons and Dragons because it's streaming on Paramount Plus right now. He is the most charming man alive. I watched it last night. I can give it a full recommendation. If you haven't watched that movie yet, go watch it immediately. Holy shit, is it fun? And it's legitimately good. It's so good. I'm like, not to, you know, overly uh, be gushy, but like I, the production value is so good. Everything, every set piece looks great. Their costumes look great. I'm like, oh my God, you can make a total popcorn blockbuster film like this and still elevate it. Yeah. I mean, it's wizard shit, but it's well done, silly wizard shit. And everybody got on board, understood the assignment and is having fun. Like they hired Chris Pine and Hugh Grant. Am I always in the mood to see Michelle Rodriguez kill someone? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like give us more of that. Please. Um, yeah, I was watching him and I, yeah, there's, uh, sorry, not to derail what we were just talking about, but the Chris Pine of it all, there's all of this hand wringing about how we don't have any big movie stars anymore. And we've talked about that in the past about how it's like an IP issue and, you know, not supporting young, young artists and the, the turnover rate of movies is way faster these days. But I was watching him, man, and I was just like, why is he not the most famous man or actor in the world. He's so yeah. hot. He's so charming. He's funny. He can do anything. He's not afraid to make fun of himself. Yes. He has no ego when it comes to letting himself be physical. I cough, cough, yeah. Tom Cruise, who can never be vulnerable <laughs> in any film ever again. Cause he did it once and at the block or the box office return wasn't so good. And he freaked out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there's so much like, and and he's not afraid of, uh, you know, he, he's not afraid of being interesting. He's curious. Like, the guy's really smart. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just keep keep doing it. I, I love Luckily, him. I think the fact that he has been in many, many movies, like, he does get hired. It's just. So, yeah, like, let, let, let's be, you know, have perspective about it. He's incredibly famous and so wealthy and, like, is in multiple franchises. Like, so he's fine. I was just sort of like. He is the perfect, quote unquote, leading man. And I was like, yes. why is he like people are not like beating down his door? Maybe they are. And he just says no to a lot of stuff. I don't know. But yeah. like, he, yeah, yeah, he's great. Maybe he's just like, well, I I did. I was in. I did my Spider-Man and Into the Spider-Verse. So I don't need to do any Marvel stuff anymore. Right. That's he did my one. That's Wonder my Marvel. Woman, Wonder Woman. Yeah. And he was in, he did Star Trek. Star Trek. So now he's like, okay, I can chill. I'll do whatever I want. That's true. Uh, I guess like the the timeline of his career is so long. He has done a bunch of stuff. I was just kind of like, he spent so long on the don't worry darling of it all that I was like, I really, yeah. him is like a romantic leading man. I'm like, yeah, this is the good stuff. Yeah. Also, that did feel like it took a thousand years. So <laughs> it truly, I felt like I aged a decade during that that press tour. Yeah. yeah. But um, um, that is something that I was thinking about too, just uh, to bring it back to the strike. Yeah. So Chris, like many other actors in Hollywood, a Napo baby, you know, yeah. both parents were actor or, you know, lifelong actors. Mm -hmm. um, but he's. That's why he's so all, hot. Yeah. <laughs> But he's also all in for the strike, all in for solidarity yeah. in the union. And you see, I also was um, Sean Astin, Sam, mm -hmm. Sam Wise Gamgee. Yep. Uh, Excuse you, Rudy. Has, Rudy. Yeah. Has been talking a lot <laughs> about the union as well and has been, yeah. has done a lot of union organizing. His mother, I think Patty Duke was the president of the union, I think at one point yeah. in the eighties. Uh, and there are a lot of, lifelong like former child actors nepo babies that have like the who for whom growing up in hollywood in gigging hollywood led them to be like hardcore union supporters i tweeted this when like the nepo baby thing was at its apex but the the flip side of the nepo baby 
conversation, which is like, obviously there's a lot of negative aspects of the Nepo baby thing, but the flip side of it is you come from a supportive family of artists. Yeah. Which is great. And as you said, that can look like artists who are really involved in the community, who are part of the unions. And that's good. I, I, what I don't want to do is scorn those Nepo babies, you know? Right. I mean, I, I think there's, it's the, like, are you a company family? Like you can be, you can be from a family of actors in the same way that you can be from a family of teachers. Right. It just happens that if you're an incredibly hot actor. (laughs) It would sort of, the thing though, it, it would be like, if you come from a family of teachers and that's how you become the the head of the department of education it's like yes. it's not that you just get to be a teacher it's that you suddenly skip the line and now get whatever you want and that's when people are like wait what the fuck because nobody complains if a nepo baby becomes an actor and they're really good like jack quaid you know right where it's right. like oh he's he's like adorable he's funny like yeah he should be a leading man in a comedy and and for the most part everybody's okay with it it's when the nepo baby doesn't have talent per se, or is like average. That's when people are like, oh, you don't deserve this. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I, again, don't want to move it too far from the strike, but I do see this, this separation between people who are the children of actors who were very involved on that day-to-day sort of level, Mm -hmm. you know, ones who did a lot of TV for example, Mm -hmm. or who were big when they were really young and then spent a lot of years in the wilderness versus children of megastars. Like the the kids who were at Cannes versus the kids who have been on the line. I will say it's very... I know that that's like, I haven't fully thought this out. I know there's a lot of elements to it and I don't want to suggest that like, there's not solidarity there, but I do think that it's interesting mm. that you can see Chris Pine out there yeah. bringing empanadas, but like <laughs> Dakota Johnson's probably on tour with Coldplay right now. Well, I will say it is interesting. Um, pay attention to what young actors are going to have a, a very big Warner Brothers film come out soon. Mm. Who ordinarily are, I know for a fact, lefties and politically engaged and know what's going on and they've said nothing i think because um either there's been overt commands not to or it is heavily implied they should not go against the company but i did notice it's interesting to see where the silence is right now yeah that is uh that's a really good point that a certain uh a certain person who has many reasons for wanting to stay silent at the moment, uh, has uh, decided that now is a time to not speak about politics. <laughs> yeah. And these are people who like, you know, I have a parasocial relationship with celebrities like everybody else. I follow on Instagram and I know that they are politically active. Like they were out there during Black Lives Matter. Like they were, you know, like they're politically engaged people. Very quiet right now. And I'm like... I I would believe that they would have solidarity with the writers. Were they not, you know, also um, about to go on a big press tour for a huge film that's coming out? Yeah, uh, it does. It does raise some questions. There's there's um, four of them. There's four actors. If you're wondering who's in my head right now, mm-hmm. yeah, that's <laughs> um, uh, very very interesting. Yeah. Um, what other things are are have really been striking to you? Oh, I just like I told you this at the start of the strike, but like I'm just so fucking proud of everyone. Like everybody who's turning out and like especially pre WGA people or, you know, even people who have no interest in in becoming a professional writer coming out and and marching the picket lines and bringing them food. And like it's it's so dope, guys. Like they're walking like 30,000 steps a day. It's really tiring. They're now on like, what is it? Day 16, 17? I don't even know at this point. Uh, I think it's day 17 if you are counting only work days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's fucking tiring and it's really stressful because they're not making money right now. And yeah, like they're they're keeping their spirits up and it's so cool to see all the support they're getting. But like- And let's not forget, this isn't just for show- 
Yeah. These picket lines are about shutting down productions. Right. And shaming people (laughs) and fucking shaming people. Like there are so many fucking scabs, Jimmy Fallon, who are like crossing the picket line, not supporting the writers. And it's like, I hope people fucking remember this shit. Remember every single person who crossed the picket line. Yeah. I mean, interesting thing about Colin Farrell, the reason why he's in New York on a picket line is because the WGA picket lines shut down his TV show. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like it, it, it matters, you know, that this is the only way they have leverage. They have to be disruptive. They can't just like stand around holding signs. They're ha- I mean, you can do that. That's one version of a protest, but what has the impact, what's getting the headlines and very accusatory headlines from like deadline where they're like, Hey, your favorite show isn't going to come back soon because the fucking writers are greedy. And it's like, yeah, that's one way you could put it. Or you could put it that because the studios are refusing to negotiate with the writers, they're the reason that all of these things are being delayed. Um, but yeah, like seeing a Game of Thrones trying to be fucking sneaky about it and going overseas so they can film without being disrupted. Like, we see you, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, these all of these very sneaky bits and pieces of, uh, you know, suddenly... So wanting like oh maybe maybe now's the time that you could take a look at this like aggressively trying to get people to scab because they're right. hopeful that you know someone's going to be desperate enough um or try to be sneaky about it because like they're hoping writers don't value their craft and they're like oh if you punch up this joke that's not you know being a scab and it's like yes it is that is writing i know yeah. you, you want to just dismiss it as just pump you know, um, just uh, enhancing the writing, but it's like, that is a a form of editing. And so it's like, yeah, that's absolutely writing. Um, And they're just trying to take advantage of people. Yeah. I mean, speaking of scabs, Jimmy Fallon, um, (laughs) I saw a clip this morning of Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, I saw this. About executive the executive producers in the credits and he's like i guarantee you there's at least one person in that like listed as an executive producer who does nothing and you see jimmy fallon's life flash before his eyes like and i have to say error in his face the comments from specifically male comedians because they know this will hurt jimmy profoundly where they're like if you can't ablib in that moment, you're a garbage comedian. <laughs> if you couldn't riff with him, like you didn't have to throw any producer under the bus. He totally freezes because he's such a company man that he's afraid of making a mistake. And Jerry, who, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, kind of a notorious asshole, but like he's making a good point in this moment, is looking yeah. at him like, we're doing a bit right now. Like you should be riffing with me. And he can't. And it's like, you suck, dude. You, also, if you can't improvise in that moment, you're not a good host. Isn't Jimmy an EP? Yes. Like, yes. Isn't that the easiest layup of all time? Well, I'm the you only producer who doesn't do anything. Yourself. Yes, like, he could have spun that. He could have been like, well, yeah, like I, like, I don't do anything. Yeah, be, be self-deprecating. That's supposedly his thing, right? He's like so lovable. And like, uh, it was just so pathetic. And it just, yeah. it really, really... Times like this magnify who a person really is. And in that moment, it was like, oh, you are a spineless, spineless, pathetic man. It's just been a really great, it's been a great summer, like spring, early summer for watching people exposed as worms. Yes. And Tom Sandoval. Yes. Worm with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Fallon, puffy worm. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, I like that we get that it's, it's like across the quadrants. What do they call it? But he, yeah. It's a four quadrant worm summer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so was there anything else you wanted to talk about with the strike? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, oh, I guess if you are interested, here's just an an opportunity. If you're curious, there are amazing things about, uh, I will pull together a thread, uh, a list of movies that are related to strikes that you can watch if you want excellent strike content. Uh, I'm thinking of 
Maidawan and Norma Jean for sure, uh, but also stuff like labor action, like Silkwood, uh, where a corporate malfeasance ends up killing a lesbian <laughs> in Oklahoma. I was going to suggest, sorry to bother you, but you would have to uh, watch Army Hammer. In Although in fairness to watching Army Hammer, he is playing himself, himself. in a perfect way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, but Stephen Yoon isn't, and he's so good. He's so good. I mean, if you... Salting is an incredibly sexy occupation in the first place, mm-hmm. and he is objectively the hottest salt that has ever walked the face of the earth. Fact. Fact. Uh, cool. So uh, we should probably move on to the very, very important matter at hand, which is you and I never weighed in on the controversy of the Robert De Niro versus Al Pacino hotness poll of it all. Oh, it's so true. And shout out to Ashley Reese, uh, actually a, a woman I, I know some uh, because I knew her late husband. Um, wonderful person who is incapable of staying off the internet long enough uh, <laughs> to not like constantly start these massive discourses. It's so great. Well, uh, what I love about it is it's like, for the most part, harmless. I mean, on a long enough timeline, everything turns toxic on Twitter. So you know, that's inevitable. But I love when everybody comes together uh, in the spirit of a stupid debate that has no stakes and is very silly. And this was the perfect example of that. And I felt like it was incredibly, yeah, it was incredibly good. Uh, Where do you fall on it? I actually have a pretty (sighs) solid, I'm pretty solidly in one camp here. My answer is a little complicated because like, I can see both. I am going to choose one. Everybody calm down. I'm going to choose a side. But I see both sides where like Al Pacino in his youth was beautiful, like just the most soulful eyes you've ever seen in your life. Um, if, if you are unfamiliar, go watch Godfather, you know, like uh, just a, a handsome, handsome man. De Niro, though, I feel like has this swagger about him that is so sexy. And it, that has really gotten magnified as he's gotten older he just has this like quiet authority about him and when he's in a good movie he gets to really showcase that he's just in a lot of garbage movies because he has like 13 kids and he needs to pay a lot of bills um (laughs) stop having babies robert maybe you can do better films um but yeah did we even realize that robert de niro was the original nick cannon no (laughs) and he doesn't get shit for it which is racism okay sorry Uh So if I had to choose, like, taking the the entire timeline of their hotness into consideration from when they were young men to current day, I think De Niro has it. You think De Niro has it? Yeah. I am solidly a Pacino girl. Ooh! Okay, make your case. Uh, my case is um, Panic in Needle Park and Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. Full stop. Fair. Uh, I will say, however, that um, in Brian De Palma's first film, Hi, Mom... Uh, which is a very weird, very experimental piece of strange ass cinema starring young Robert De Niro. And I think he's like 25 mm-hmm. um, in a series of vignettes about a dirt bag that um, ends up sort of weaving in and out of uh, like he becomes a porno photographer and mm-hmm. a stalker. And then he goes to this art exhibit where like rich white people get treated like black people by black Panthers. <laughs> and then he does terrorism. It, it's so strange. Uh, but he is so Bushwick dirtbag hot yeah. in that movie <laughs> that it's undeniable. <laughs> Yeah. As I said, I really can see both sides of this and I wouldn't be mad at anyone who chose Al Pacino. I think like they're both cartoon versions of their former selves, right? At this point, like you're always going to get scent of a woman Pacino now or Scarface Pacino. You're always going to get like De Niro doing De Niro face, you know, like they are just caricatures of their former selves now. But I De Niro's shtick lands for me more. That's fair. And I, as pathetic as it is, would absolutely let his devil's advocate character <laughs> steal my soul. Ruin <laughs> you. Ruin your yes. entire life. Take all your money. <laughs> leave you on the side I, of the road. <laughs> yeah. And steal my soul. And <laughs> weird old, like, 
Yeah, Rose I see that. Devil Al Pacino yeah. could do, could ruin me. So I have, you know, these, these I would things, see but you I, the next day. I'd be like, how's it going? You'd be like, great. <laughs> and tell me everything that I'd be like, are you fucking crazy? And I'd be like, yeah, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, Amazing. Okay. So we're divided. We are a house divided. I say De Niro. <laughs> Meredith you know what, Pacino. Though? I think that that's actually the best possible outcome because that means that we exist in a world of balance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, we have, we live in a, we, we can respect each other's choices. We think there is space for our opinions. Peace is possible. Yeah. Precisely. We're basically a great example for the rest of America. Like we are divided, but we can come together for the greater good, um, which is talking about actors and rating them by their hotness. Precisely, which is the most important thing to do when talking about actors. Guys, I don't know if I say this enough on the show. It's so important to be attractive. So if you're not hot, maybe work on that. Yeah. Um, Well, if you're going to be on on my television screen. I would say it's an all the time thing. You know, like just walking around. You just want to be hot. Just because it's easier for hot people. So if you Mm, haven't considered that, if you're struggling right now, if you're like, oh, capitalism, have you tried being hot? So that's just a little advice for everybody out there. Um, I know. Instead of uh, instead of like drug commercials, they're like, "Have you tried being hot? Have you been hot today?" Yeah. Um, so the finale, the series finale of Succession, is tomorrow. You guys. Oh my god! So I didn't think I had Memorial Day plans, but I have uh, these friends who like to um, what do you call it? Do things. So mm, they have uncool. arranged a day trip for us that I'm very excited about. But I briefly had a panic attack because I was like, oh, my God, am I going to miss the finale of Succession? And they were all like, no, 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 it's a day trip. So we'll be home by four. And I'm like, thank God, because I am like so in it at this point, Meredith. I feel like I am going to be like ruined after this finale. (laughs) Oh, God, the idea of missing it. Like I have watched every single episode at the exact second it goes up. Yes. Oh my God. The thought of not watching it as it's happening would be gutting. I need to be experiencing this. I don't care if I'm watching it by myself. I need to know that everyone else who is watching the finale is watching it at the same time as me. Which I have not done since Game of Thrones. And with Game of Thrones, it made sense because there's like every episode is this like monumental twist and like one of your favorite characters would die and it would be ruined for you on Twitter if you didn't watch it live. Succession's a little different because there have been like big stunning moments that have happened on the show, but it's not the same kind of like constant spoiler thing. I just really enjoy watching it as it's happening because like I love the show you know, the the dialogue around the show has gotten predictably annoying as it always does on Twitter where people like, truly sometimes I'm like, what show are you guys watching? Because people are talking about it like it's Game of Thrones where they're like, who do you think is going to win? Who's going to win at the end? And it's like, why do you think anyone's going to win? Like these people are bad people. They are ruining their family and their relationships with each other. Nobody's going to win. Like, my prediction, obviously, is Kendall becomes CEO. But yeah, but we've been cost, watching the show for the whole, like, all four seasons have been about how becoming CEO is ruining their lives. And how to become, like, he's the king of the ashes, you know, where it's like he has, he's going to ruin his relationship with Shiv and Roman and he's already replicating the toxic shit Logan did. Like, this man, even when he wins, is going to lose. His family left him. Like, what the fuck does he have? I mean, obviously, I said this to Meredith when I was making predictions about everybody losing. I don't mean their money. These people, the whole point of succession is, no matter what these people do, no matter what catastrophic decisions they make, they are protected by a bubble of privilege. So even when they install a fascist to the White House, it doesn't affect them for the most part. Like there might be like little minor inconveniences that annoy them, but they make more money than ever with the uh, Matson deal. They now have a powerful friend in the White House. So it's like these people are never going to lose. That's the point of the show. 
they can destroy the country and they still win. Yeah. And that's part of why it's a tragedy. It is a tra- it's a Shakespearean tragedy. Like it's very funny too. As a lot of Shakespeare's works, we're not going to talk about Shakespeare, guys. Don't worry. But like, you know, dramatic comedy, hand in hand. That's what Succession is. And if you had any doubt, the the funeral episode really like was just a series of Shakespearean monologues, basically, um, in the best possible way. But this is ultimately a tragedy. Like these people will be wealthy until the day they die. They will not have real love in their lives. They probably won't be talking to each other at the end of their lives. Um, they have no happy memories with their father. Like the fact that Shiv got up there when thought she was telling a funny anecdote about how scared she was of her father is like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Like the, this family cannot be saved. Um, and ultimately I think, that's how it's going to end. If I have like one big, it might be too big of a move for succession. My one prediction is I think it's odd that Matson keeps saying to Shiv American CEO and not you specifically. And he seems very fond of Greg. Yeah. So I think we, we might see cousin Greg as the American CEO at the end. I've I've seen a lot of speculation about this. I've seen people talking about it and pulling up different reasons why they think that actually there's been bits and pieces seeded through that make it much more plausible mm-hmm. and adding in that this is the guy who created peep show yes, so yeah. there is there's a lot more sense to it as far you know especially when you think about how fucking funny the show is mm-hmm. sometimes <laughs> it would be insane but it would make a bit of twisted sense it would. And it would sort of be this like nice because it's not like it would come out of nowhere, as you said, like cousin Greg has been one of the main characters the entire season. He has been slowly climbing the corporate ladder like he's making moves in his very clumsy, inept way, you know. Um, so that's my like one big prediction. But other than that, I'm like, I, I think it's just going to be burning everything to the ground. Uh, Rosie, shh. no spoilers. No spoilers, Rosie. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, you had said that you think that it's, you know, you think it's going to end with all of them having permanently torched their relationships to each other, which I do think is a good, is a solid prediction Mm -hmm. that I agree with. Um, I think that uh, my biggest question is where things end up with Tom and Shiv. Yeah, so I I said early on that I think these pe- these two will just are two anchors locked together dragging each other to the bottom of the sea. Even if cuz there's a theory that what Matson's going to do to test Shiv's loyalty is have her fire Tom. Oh, just because that's kind of the fucked up head game someone like that would play, you know, like, yeah, will you compromise your marriage? I think even if that happens, they stay together. I would think so, too. I actually think that they they stay together because he that they don't know how to be apart from each other. They're completely codependent in a toxic way, but also there is real love there. Yeah, I do believe that with them. Um, And I I think she's just circling the wagons and she's she's pregnant and she's not going to kick out the father of her child, you know. So I think even if that's another big move they could make, even if she has to fire Tom, I think he'll come back to her. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, man, what a good fucking show. It's been it's been real fun this season. Uh, I'm it feels sad like it's there's ending, so much happening. But as I, I said to you, I was like, I would so much rather have them go out on top like this. Like to me, this is the classy move where it's like, could we do two more seasons? Yeah. But you know what's inevitably gonna happen? Someone's gonna say they should have ended after the last season, you know? So I'm glad they're mm-hmm. going out on top. I'm I'm really glad everyone on the show has had a moment to showcase how good they are. Like, my God, Kieran Culkin's a good actor. He has been bringing so much. Jesus, that care like 
that character, Roman, I just like, I go from you are a pathetic fascist bootlicker to I'm crying because he's asking if his daddy can come out of the coffin. Like, that's a lot. That's like a like a wide range of emotions to take the audience on with you. And he does it with such, you know, grace. Yeah. And every single one of every single actor has had a moment to shine so, so brightly this season. Um, Listen, I know Jeremy Strong is a lunatic, right? Um, he's so good. Yeah. I mean, he's he earned it. He can be a total fucking weirdo. And in terms based of on like, <laughs> you know, we have Jared Leto as an example of how you could be a really toxic method actor. He Jeremy Strong is like annoying. But yes, I, I never heard anything about him being like, you know, a sex pest or anything like that. So it's like, let, let's keep the criticism in bounds where it's like, yeah, he's he's an annoying actor. But like, is he excellent at what he does? Yeah. So let him. Yeah. Cook. And and you know what? We found he found a role that he is perfect for and he has brought the house down so many times. I mean, he gets he gets to be cringy if he wants to. He did the rap. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like and also Yeah, exactly. Kendall is cringy. So if Jeremy Strong is being cringy, perhaps this is part of the method where he's just like enjoying making people not like him a little bit um and then yeah obviously sarah snook is amazing i do i agree with i forget who said this but someone was like i do hope she gets to do something with her natural accent soon because i'm i'm not crazy about her american accent (laughs) (laughs) it does it slips a lot especially because um Oh, who's the actor who played uh, Matthew McFadden? McFadden, yeah. His American accent is quite good. Um, yeah, I feel. But he also has he slipped slips, just a slipped. little bit this season but too. But when she so slips, good. it's like you're fully Australian right now. <laughs> it just like <laughs> completely drops. Um, she's so good though. But like, I would really like to see her in something where she's not constantly having to correct her accent, so she can just fully cook. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I I'm really looking forward to what everybody ends up doing. I'm excited for what a lot of the actors who've had small roles end up going to do. I think it's just been so much fun to watch them get to play around. I do have um, a question. Have you ever yeah. seen And this is not a read, okay? Cuz I'm going to explain myself in a second. Have okay. you ever seen Kieran Culkin not play that character, Roman? He's always kind of Roman. Thinking about it, yeah, he kind of is. Because that's kind of, his, he's like the gay version in Scott Pilgrim. It, it's exactly, I mean, Roman, who knows what down. sexuality Roman is, but yeah, he's the, yeah. the out gay man <laughs> version of Roman in yeah. Scott Pilgrim. I Maybe I just haven't seen him in enough stuff, but he's the only one where I'm, but here's why it's not a read. Robert Downey Jr. does that. Yeah. And people love him. So I'm like, there's a million ways you can use the specific thing Kieran does. And I love what he does. And I could endlessly watch him doing his thing. But he's the one that I was kind of like, I don't, I've seen Jeremy flex his acting muscle and be very different and stuff. Uh, I haven't seen Sarah and enough stuff to know. Obviously, Matthew McFadden's been around forever and done a million things. So he obviously can do it. But like, Kieran's the only one that I was sort of like, it'll be interesting to see what his next thing is. Because mm-hmm. I could see him used a million different ways. But it would be interesting to know if he's going to do something like the opposite of Roman. Yeah. But it is clear that he has enormous depth and a really, really wide toolbox when he's trying to play in the space of this character that he's played several times. So if he does end up continuing to do roles like this, I have complete faith that he will keep nailing it. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And like I said, I love his, his snarky. It is very hard to do what he does and still be likable. So I understand why people want to keep using that in him because if you are not likable and you try to do that character, it's like a nightmare, you know? So yeah. I understand like it is this very specific, valuable skill set, but 
Yeah. You know, I mean, like, even just him playing less of an asshole that has that edge. Well, someone was you know? like, what if he plays like a single dad? Like, you know, like that, that could be really cute. Like him with like raising a kid, like, cause like he's cute, you know, like I, I don't think people think of him as like the leading man type. They think of him as like a character actor. Um, yeah. But, but I he don't could, know. He, as long as his, as long as the character had a bit of an edge to it and allowed yeah, him to have that, like yeah. that, that, that bite, to whatever he needed to react to, I think he could probably pull anything off. You know what it reminds me of? And maybe this would kind of work for him. David Spade, that's sort of like, if you have him with a, like a buddy and they can sort of like play off of each other, you know, like he had, David Spade always had, like obviously very prickly and had that edge to him, but also had that like weird vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, anyway. Yeah. The fact that we just, oh, we're just sort of like getting a little bit dreamy on the microphones because we're so curious about where it could go is a good sign. Or, oh, yeah. Like what Jesse, <laughs> what Jesse's going to do next, you know, like it's so exciting. Cause like, you know, it's one thing if you have a prestige, a highly produced drama like Game of Thrones, but Succession was just this surprise, you know, where it was like, it's mostly just interesting people standing in a room together talking, you know, where like, there's no big battle sequences or anything crazy happening. That's why it's kind of frustrating to hear people talk about who's going to win, because I'm like, that is not this show. This show is going to end in a very, like, tragic place. And it's the, and what makes it so special is knowing that the tension and the drama that's coming from people standing in a room talking to each other has been so meticulously researched and built so that it is airtight and perfect so that there's immense tension there because you feel the world that's been built, you know, they don't need to make dragons (laughs) to have their feel have it feel like there's high stakes what if there's a dragon in the finale we should just brace ourselves Um, oh fuck the one other prediction kind of big prediction because you know it's it's sort of a Chekhov's gun situation another (laughs) 9-11 yeah (laughs) turns out everything's happening September 10th 2001 um no the Kendall killed a guy um, and it's a big fucking deal. And I, I give the show a lot of credit for this reason. We're like, it wasn't a deliberate killing. He was there, but he has said nothing to this, the waiter's family or anything like that. And that has been a big fucking deal that has absolutely destroyed Kendall. It, it informs like 90% of the decisions he's made, including like, you know, becoming a pathetic drug addict and stuff. That has to pay off, and I think Roman might drop that bomb out of out of like a sense of revenge because Kendall has been very cruel after he cried at their father's funeral, and he's trying to he's trying to like act like Logan with Roman, which is really fucked up because Logan abused Roman, you know. Um, and I think Roman is going to snap and maybe not say it even in front of anyone but use it in a way that like permanently alters their relationship which would would make sense i'd be if they do make that choice i would be very interested to see how they try they have to do something with it in the finale it has to matter in some way i just don't think they would have brought that thread all the way through unless there's going to be a big big moment with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just so excited for to see what unfolds. I feel like what I, I'm just ready for it. Whatever, whatever comes. The thing is, like, if there's ever been a team that has earned our trust, <laughs> it's succession. Like, I, I'm, I will be happy no matter what they do, because I feel like they have earned every moment leading up to this. And unless there's a dragon for no fucking reason in the series finale, I trust their judgment. I trust the taste level. I'm like, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I'm calling it now. 
<laughs> Agreed. I'm calling my shot, everybody. What if it ends like The Sopranos and everyone is so mad? Oh, I mean, guess we'll find out tomorrow. Did I ever tell you, like, I didn't watch The Sopranos when it was on HBO? I, I binged it during the pandemic. I thought that ending was fucking brilliant. And it was <laughs> so clear what happened. Because in case you never saw The Sopranos, I, I, this is a spoiler. I don't even think it is. But like at the end, it just it, they're in the middle of a scene and it goes to black. And it's like obvious that a hitman came in and killed Tony because everything is like from his point of view. So to cut out like that, I'm like, yeah, he died. Yeah. Right? I mean, I thought it was really obvious, too. I, I actually didn't finish it. I had never finished the series until like about six months ago. So well, what's so brilliant about happened, it but... is it's not even a spoiler because like it has no influence over anything else. Like you don't find out like somebody betrayed him or something like big like that. It just, of course, that's how it ends for this guy because he's an inc- in an incredibly dangerous world, making a lot of enemies. Um, yeah, he gets offed at the end, and I was like. Correct. That should be the ending of a story about a mob boss. <laughs> yeah, that's how these things go. Yeah, that's like, where things go. And I think people, like if the Sopranos finale happened today, I think people would be better prepared to deal with like a non-traditional narrative structure like that. But at the time, like I remember my dad lost his mind. Yeah, people were not not happy not happy they wanted like a neat little ending and it's like no sorry that's you don't get it you don't get it and i'm wondering if we'll get something similar with succession where maybe people will be like oh that seemed a little anticlimactic because it's just kendall walking into another meeting yeah i mean i think it is going to feel like an anticlimax based on how other shows that jesse armstrong has been a part of has have, have ended yeah that's a good point um but so there won't be a definitive ending. You know, we're not we're not going to get the six feet under treatment, you no, know, no, no, no. <laughs> to, me, to me, that that emotional apex that people were looking for was the funeral episode. Yeah, you, you got big moments like big, big character moments, chewing the fucking scenery like everybody had their moment. Right. And I think the finale is going to be uh, tying up these loose ends which might feel anticlimactic but in the sense of structure and storytelling is just like good writing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it's the 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 apex is the emotional release of all of them realizing that they no longer have their father and the the saying goodbye and then suddenly slotting into the positions that they're going to take on you know that they're doing the succession. <laughs> right. And now we get the falling action of it. <laughs> so they're going to do the succession. We're going to watch the succession. I'm sure we'll talk about the succession uh, next episode. Guys, please follow Meredith on all the socials. Meredith L. Clark. You can follow me at Allison Kilkenny. We're all over the dang place. Although that's not true anymore. I'm on Twitter for the moment and Instagram. Um can't find a fucking blue sky invite to save my life. Um, I talked to someone. God damn it. So I didn't tell you this. I found out a friend of ours got on blue sky and I messaged him and I was like, uh, did you get any invites? And he's like, no, apparently what the T is, is you have to have it at least two weeks. And then They'll send you a like an invite, but it's not clear. Like nobody knows how they're getting invites or how many they're getting. It seems very arbitrary. So he was like, when I get them, I will send you one. So I was like, okay. But like, I don't know. So if anybody has a blue sky link or invite, send it to me. So then I can invite Meredith. <laughs> yes, please. I need to get off Twitter. I can't handle it anymore. You know what's so stupid? I don't even want to do this. It's just like I don't want to go to a different platform, but Twitter is just like unusable these days. Um, there's so many bots and shit. Uh anyway, follow us for the moment on Twitter, Instagram, follow the show, Light Treason Pod. If you're a fan of the show, you can go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button to keep us going, or become a a follower of mine at patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Uh, for as little as $5 a month, you get to send us questions, comments, recommendations. I know 
Brian had sent some. I'll get to that next episode. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. 